Hello, and welcome to the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. I'm Dana Marie Rockmore, the founder of the Dinner Party Project and co-founder of The Welcome House. I'll be inviting intriguing guests over to my home to chat about some of my favorite things, cocktails, story, the Enneagram, and rest. Hello again, it's Dana Marie, and welcome to the introductory or episode one of the Cocktails and Conversation podcast. This episode is called, Is There Anyone I Haven't Pissed Off Yet? So, well, hello. Uh, I am so glad, number one, that anyone is listening to this. So bravo for me for taking your time to give this a go. It has taken a long time for this to actually happen. Uh, First of all, I am doing a little day drinking today by myself. I thought I'd start with my very favorite cocktail, which is a whiskey sour. So I have got uh, actually Jack Daniel's Honey Whiskey Bourbon, and I've mixed that in with some lemon and lime juice, uh, a little bit of thyme, simple syrup, and blackberries, and of course, an egg white. So if you ever find me, you will know that that is my most favorite drink to have in hand. So if this podcast gets a little better as I go along, you'll know why. I wanted to take this intro episode and give a little background as to who I am, why I want to do this, and where I'm coming from in all these topics. I've always been very intrigued by how people operate, what makes them tick, why they think, act, eat, live, etc. like they do. I have a bachelor's in psychology with a minor in substance abuse counseling. I'm definitely very fascinated by how two people can take in the same situation or the same information and have two very different outcomes. From there, for many years, I have been consumed with interviews, some serious, most not so serious. While I work these days, I try to have on a YouTube interview in the background, and this has led me to podcast. I've always struggled with how much is too much to put out into the world. I tend to be a very private person. Naturally, I've always been. As social media has grown, especially Facebook and Instagram, it's always felt too much. Um, It has really felt kind of like a bombardment of information and also felt so strange to know so much about people that I haven't seen face-to-face in years or just met once. I tend not to share much on social media personally at all and feel uncomfortable when people overshare. I feel it's not the place to be sharing this depth of yourself with the world. I didn't ask to hear this information, nor do I want to know everything about everybody. To know someone's marital problems or how distressed they are about their coworkers, it feels like an invasion of their privacy or if they have to have to have Insta stories documenting their whole life, it just feels like too much. Um, I usually just feel like, can you put your phone down and just enjoy the moment? Just enjoy your life right here in the present. Um, Sometimes it just feels like a cry for help for people to look at, to notice and to validate them. To me, it just feels like empty validation. It's harder to feel real validation face to face with real humans. The truth is that I'm already overwhelmed with the state of the world with the brokenness and greed of myself and the community I live in and the world at large. There's too much sadness and I can't handle knowing everyone else's baggage. Now, if you are my actual friend or family member, 
then I hopefully have all the time in the world and mostly the emotional capacity to sit with you through your life's ups and downs. But I cannot be here for everything that everyone has going on. So have I got caught up in the mess of social media? Oh, 100%. Have I ever felt low because I don't get the engagement I need on social media? Absolutely. Do I think that social media can and is a useful and helpful tool without a doubt? I definitely wouldn't have a business if it were not for social media. But for me, its influence on how it makes me feel and the time it takes up in my life needs to be pretty monitored and limited. As it's getting very hard to stand out online, um, so I just feel like people are shouting louder and louder, and lots of times it feels like I'm being yelled at, and I really don't like that. I don't want to add to the noise. This has been my biggest fear. I just didn't want to be another drop in the sea, talking into the ether world, taking up space. This feeling has kept me back for many, many years from starting a podcast. I just didn't want to be another of the millions of things out there vying for market space. I still don't. Also, I do not love the sound of my recorded voice. It's incredibly vain and took some pride swallowing to get over into just doing it. However, two to three years ago, I really started to fall in love with the podcast medium. It was a real amount of time to communicate something, and it was often about story. I also used to be very devoted to a prayer home companion. I can't say what the truth is about the allegations, but I was very in love with Garrison Keillor for a very long time. Genius storyteller on so many levels. I think that I started with that podcast. I think that the first three that grabbed my attention and are still my favorites to this day are Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, How I Built This, and Ask Me Another, Storytelling and Comedy, two of my favorite things. But I grew into This American Life, Serial, Trinity Grace Church, Chelsea, and more recently I have gotten into Slow Burn. It is so good. S-Town, The Liturgist, Terrible Thanks for Asking, and Dear Sugars. This past summer, while I was traveling, people were giving me so many great recommendations, and I listened to so many while I was traveling my 8,000 miles. I was pretty hooked. I was surprised at how much more I would listen to podcasts than music, which is pretty much essential to any road trip. And so, as I enjoyed listening to so many other people share their stories via this medium, I started to convince myself that maybe somebody out there would want to discover one more podcast. About two years ago, I was starting to get restless with work and life. I had quasi thought I could be good at interviewing people and I needed a challenge for myself. So I sent out some requests for interviews to a half a dozen people I admired in the community I asked him over to my home for a cocktail or coffee, and I was and I wasn't surprised at the amount of people who said yes. I think it was most all of them. As they arrived, I was trying not to convey how nervous I was feeling, and it felt nice to feel nervous because I rarely ever do. I had a list of questions lined out and drinks all prepped, and then the guest arrived, and I loved being in this one-on-one space and hearing their stories hearing about their childhood and things I could have never guessed would be a part of their story. 
As the questions started rolling, it was starting to get a little smoother. When I got back from my road trip last year, I decided that I wanted to go ahead and do it. So here we are, about six months later, and I'm finally getting it together. I initially wanted to name the whole podcast, Is There Anyone I Haven't Pissed Off Yet? But I decided against it. I really wanted to talk about things I was interested in. And let's be honest, I rarely talk about things that I'm not interested in. So here we go. Cocktails. Um, I'm not sure that there's anything more that I love than making or sipping on a marvelous drink. Except for maybe playing with my nieces and nephews. There seems to be an endless amount of things you're able to learn and do with cocktails. I don't drink beer or wine, so cocktails are kind of my thing. They can be so simple and easy, and they can get super complicated and more in-depth than I can ever dream of accomplishing myself. Plus, everyone, almost everyone, will say yes to coming over for a cocktail. It's a great thing to enjoy with a good conversation. So let's start out with my favorite drink, which I mentioned a little bit previously, which is, if you know me at all, you know already, a whiskey sour. And I would have to say that my favorite bourbon is probably a double oaked Woodford Reserved. Uh, I'm also partial to Old Forester, and I'm also enjoying this Jack Daniels Honey Edition that I'm currently uh, sipping on. So... um, yeah, whiskey sours are actually very simple. Depending on how strong you want it, it's one and a half to two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of lemon and lime juice. Uh, fresh squeeze, of course, is obviously the best, but when that's not an option, organic bottled um, is also great as well. And two to three drops of bitters will do, a half an ounce of simple syrup. And this is a really easy way to enjoy some different flavors. As I mentioned, um, today I had made a thyme simple syrup, Um, but you can really do any of the following, lavender, honey, basil, rosemary, ginger, rose petals, whatever. It's really easy to get creative. Um, An egg white. Let's talk about the egg white. Pete, please do not ever serve me a whiskey sour without an egg white. It gives it its levity. It makes it so light and fluffy and delightful. It doesn't add any flavor. It's just the frothy texture. And it makes so many drinks incredible. Please do try it at home. So this, to me, uh, constitute the most basic of whiskey sours, and from there, the sky is the limits. You can use fruits of all all measures. Um, you can use marmalades, jams, um, blackberries, grapefruit. It's all delightful. So with having done over 400 dinner parties, I've had I've got a few go-tos for our welcome cocktail, but I'm always searching Pinterest and asking bartenders for ideas. I am always up for ideas, so please, 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 if you have cocktail ideas, please send them to me in the comments or just DM me on social media or email me. So the next element of this podcast would be story. It's the things in life that matter. It's the events in life that shape us. So when I started the Dinner Party Project, I was so into hearing people's stories. There are so many variables in life that we don't get to choose. So a little bit about my story is I just really feel like I won the birth lottery. I really, really, really feel like I have a very lucky position that I was put in in life. 
I didn't do anything to deserve it to do. <clears throat> I didn't do anything to deserve it. I was just placed here. I have an incredible family, and I'm not kidding when I say that that's the most important thing in my life. My uh, dad passed away last year and totally devastated my world. I'm definitely still feeling the reverberations of that. You see, my dad told us that he loved us every day and would try to hug us for as long as he could. It's a weird dynamic. Um, My mother and father both came from money, but we didn't grow up with money. My dad had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ about two years after marrying my mother. And my mom was like, take two aspirin and you'll be fine in the morning. But that life change was real. And my mother saw a living, breathing change in what was happening to my dad and decided she she wanted that for her life. Another thing is that entrepreneurship runs in my family. My dad's side of the family had Rockmore Auto Parts right here in Orlando and in Ocala. My mother's side of the family had the Peely Company, where they would make escalators and freight elevator doors. I spotted one at Bloomingdale's at Millennia a couple of years ago, and it's always a special moment. So what else? I was born Caucasian. My dad's side of the family is French, and there is actually a tiny town in France called Rockmore. My mother's side is English and a Euro mix and a little Cherokee in there. So kind of a mix of a bunch of things. I also have four younger brothers whom I would not trade for the world. I grew up in the solid lower half of the middle class. Sometimes it felt a little lower than that. But always with class and grace, my dad had decided to go into the nonprofit world. He was in the world of venture capital, and I'm sure he was doing just fine. But he wanted something more with his life. He, were, he wanted to remind people to give thanks for whatever they had. He got a proclamation the year of Thanksgiving um, a couple of years when I was growing up. We grew up around Washington, D.C., so he was in the political circles pretty often. And he was in the Oval Office um, a handful of times. And he was such an optimist, which was even annoying at times, especially as a teenager. Uh, I say all of this to say how much this shaped me. Because I saw that I didn't have to clock into a job that I hated for 40 years. My dad was passionate about something. He was passionate about life, really. I think another thing that shaped me was being the oldest of four boys. Our family wasn't perfect. We were a wild bunch. And if you ask my brothers, they might tell you that I was kind of like a second mom because I kind of was. There was so much going on all the time with so many kids that I had to be a support. I just remember this like poignant moment when I was about 11 or 12. My parents were leaving for something and I was sitting on the stairs inside looking out at the door as my parents were taking off. And I was just thinking cool. I don't have a choice. I am the built-in babysitter. Also, our finances were up and down. Growing up, uh, I think that we moved 16 times, sometimes being in one place for six months or less. And it wasn't ideal. It was really all over the place. But I saw my dad fight for what he wanted. And he might get knocked down, but his spirit was really strong. And he would just keep on going. Um, he, working in the nonprofit world, you know, he may not have been a super strong provider. Um, 
you know, for all that stuff that you think that you need in high school, but he loved us so much and he loved my mom and that gave me such a deep sense of security and I wouldn't really trade anything for that. Moving a lot meant sometimes having to fit into lots of different people groups. Being new and starting over was sometimes easy and sometimes not. Um, I was popular some and unpopular some. And, you know, it really does suck when you are the odd man out. When you are in the cool crowd, man, it feels amazing. But when you're not, it's rough. Um... Also, I went to boarding school for my junior and senior year of high school. When I started at this new school, there was a super popular girl, and she just kept on calling me by the wrong name. And as I think, I think it was, you know, like a slight to me. It, it really pissed me off. I kept on correcting her. I kept on working at her to get her to like me. And you know what? She finally did. I wore her down. And then we were actually friends. I even went home with her on the weekend sometimes. Um, She was rich AF, and I was not, and it was awesome. Um, As an adult, something that's really shaped me um, was getting into events. I really floundered a lot in my early 20s. 20 to 25 was all over the place. I moved to Orlando when I was 20. I worked a bunch of random jobs. I moved to LA when I was 25 because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I knew that I wanted to help people and had actually done a couple years of missionary training and traveling in my early 20s, but I couldn't really find my place within that culture. In 2005, my friend Mandy helped me get on as a contractor for large-scale events. Um, So they put on events across the U.S., and it was amazing. It was travel number one, all paid. They would paid you a decent rate right out of the gate. It was hands-on. It was with people my own age. It was figuring out stuff, how to manage yourself professionally, how to navigate to move up in the company, how to work hard, long, exhausting days. I mean, like... 16 hour, 14, 16 hour days was the normal. Um, and it was, yeah, it was pretty crazy. The longer I worked there, the more I learned how to think on my feet and also predict what troubles I could encounter in the environment that I was in and how to avoid them at all costs. But for the most part, um, I just remember just feeling like such a part of a team, a family. There was young, there was old, there would be, you know, former heads of state, there was, you know, B-list celebrities, um, and then there was like roadies all around. So it was learning to be gracious to everybody, no matter what their role was. Um, I worked in this role for four and a half years and then was so exhausted by the amount of travel that I knew it was time to resign. It was one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make. I literally, I'm not a crier. If you know me, uh, yeah, I just don't tend to cry very often. And my brothers have often wondered if my tear ducts, you know, still work, but they do. Um, And when I, when I had to let go of that part of my life, I, on the last night of, you know, I think I was working my last show, I sobbed for hours in my hotel room. Um... I had tried to come down to the lobby with everyone, and I barely lasted one drink. I 
headed back to my hotel room and cried my heart out. It was like leaving family. Um, Many of these people I am still good friends with today. It's been 10 years since I quit, but we were this young crew pulling off these massive events. It felt like an accomplishment. You know, it was brutal at times, but when you go through those things with those people, it makes that bond stronger. That time really shaped me for my future. I think it really laid the groundwork for the dinner party project and being able to like know how to run events and know how to predict um, what's going to be hard, what you have to look out for, um, somewhat managing people. Uh, managing people throughout this journey has been, I think, one of the toughest things for me um, because I don't, I don't really love it. I don't really love managing one-on-one. I think events was good because I kind of knew my role and I knew exactly what I had to get done and what was, <laughs> what I was responsible and I could show up and I could crush my job and managing other people kind of came along with that a little bit, but it's really its own special skill set. But I'm very grateful for the time in the event world um, that really shaped me into the, the person that I am today and for those invaluable experiences that led me to the Dinner Party Project. So on to one of my absolute favorite topics, which is the Enneagram. Um, I wanted to start with a little bit of preface on how I operate and what comes naturally to me. And the Enneagram has been very insightful to me in helping me to discover what is true about me, good and bad, and how to recognize it and hopefully walk towards help when I need it and towards a healthy lifestyle. Um, if you haven't explored it, I really implore you to do so. If you aren't familiar with it, it's technically a nine-sided figure um, used in a particular system of analysis to represent the spectrum of possi- possible personality types. And it sounds pretty complicated and it is pretty complex, but once you break it down into kind of like smaller aspects of it, it's a lot easier to wrap your mind around. Uh, There is a never-ending amount to discover, and that is one of the reasons why I love it. It's basically nine personality types that help you to categorize your operating system. What does health look like to you? What does it look like when you're stressed out? Uh, How do you communicate well with people that are not anything like you? So I am an eight, a number eight, which is the challenger. Um, the powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. I act out of a gut instinct. Uh, I have anger just below the surface. I don't think that I have a temper in a classic sense of actually kind of like throwing a temper tantrum and just yelling at people, but I definitely have it inside. I get really angry and not wanting to lash out at people. I often don't know how to communicate it because in reality, I don't want to hurt people. My fear is definitely being hurt or being controlled by others. And I don't have a desire necessarily to control others, but I want to be in control of my own life and my own future. And I don't want other people technically telling me what to do. And yeah, sometimes authority has been hard. Working for other people sometimes has been hard. So working for myself has definitely its own set of challenges, but I think is better suited 
for my personality type. So one thing is that I hate, hate, hate being lied to. Um, If you break my trust, it's really hard for me to give it back to you. Um, And you definitely have to earn my trust in the beginning. Not everyone, you know, gets to be in my confidence. And if it's, and if you are, you know, like it's because you've, you know, really earned it and showed up for me and been there for me. Um, I would rather have you tell me something that is contrary to, um, to how I'm feeling or thinking than to lie to my face or with your actions. Um, pushing back is romance to me. Um, I think that that is a way that I know that you can really care to be honest and not just nice. I probably take disappointment as betrayal more often than I should. When I see that you haven't accomplished what you set out to, what you said you were going to complete, I definitely take that as betrayal. You know, I try my very best to hold up my end of the bargain. If you don't hold up your end of the bargain, it's over. And I definitely feel betrayed and hurt in that. I want to be a woman of my word, and I am expecting you to be a woman or a man of your word. I stand up for myself. I expect others to do so, but that's not the way the world works. When I feel that I have... um the best for, for our project, not because I want to push my own way. Like I will definitely try to make that known. So, um, reality is that, you know, last summer, about five weeks after my dad passed away, I was made aware of a laundry list of people, um, that didn't like me. And it was definitely the lowest point in my life. And it definitely took me under. And I felt like I didn't have any way of addressing this situation or these people. And around this time in my mind, I started to think, well, I guess, is there anyone I haven't pissed off yet? It's never an intention to hurt people, but I have learned the hard way that I can, often not knowing that I have. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Dinner Party Project. The Dinner Party Project is all about connecting humans around the dinner table. Right now, we are mostly based in Orlando, Florida. Whether it's joining seven strangers in an intimate setting around a dinner table or sitting in the street of Orange Avenue with 100 others watching flamethrowers, we love helping people feel connected to others and their city. We also offer private parties, so if you have a birthday, anniversary, team building dinner, or corporate event coming up, we can create a custom, memorable event that you and your guests won't soon forget. We also help brands connect with their consumers by exposing their product in an elevated way to their target demographic. So if you live in the Orlando area and haven't joined us yet, what are you waiting for? We can't wait to hear your story around the dinner table. For more information, you can visit us at thedinnerpartyproject.co. This episode of Cocktails and Conversation is brought to you by The Welcome House. The Welcome House is an Airbnb in Orlando, Florida that loves to host people in small gatherings. 
It's got everything you need to relax and entertain, including your own private entrance to the spacious room with its own full bathroom and living room area. It also includes access to the large pool and an outdoor dining area. This spot is perfect to restore and renew. And if you're coming into town for the attractions, they are only 20 minutes away. And you can also get to the beach in under an hour. So if you are looking for a staycation or coming to enjoy all that Orlando has to offer, the Welcome House is your perfect place to stay. Just search the Welcome House on Airbnb. The Enneagram has really given me semblance to my personality. It's helping me to see my blind spots and what I need to look out for when I'm unhealthy and what health looks like. Female eights are not always too likable by the world's standard. If you are a woman and you are direct and a strong leader and make some tough decisions sometimes, not always, you are labeled as some unkind things. But in a man's world, it would be par for the course. Um, and I have felt as a female eight that I need to, you know, temper my anger because it would not be so becoming or help uh, me in my final goals that I want to achieve. Borrowing from another podcast, Typology, which mentions our culture reveres male eights. People admire men who kick ass and take names. Sadly, we all know the word used to describe a woman who takes charge, stands up for what she believes, refuses to take crap from other people, and gets the job done. I don't need to spell it out for you, right? All to say, female aides are arguably the most misunderstood and unfairly treated number on the Enneagram. Yeah, I, I think I feel that sometimes. Um, aides at their best are full of energy to share power and work towards community success. They can be vulnerable and show their tender side as well. Remember, we're talking about healthy aides. So in my own journey, I do feel like I have a lot of energy. I have been so lucky to rarely ever get sick. I definitely feel like I want to do something that's outside of the norm. I would die if I was stuck in a 9 to 5. Autonomy is the most important thing for me. If I can't make my own schedule or at least choose into what I want to commit to, I'm not going to lie, it's really hard for me. When I worked for the large-scale event company, it was good, a good fit for me um, because I was in charge of my own role, my own success, and failure. I did have a couple of bosses, but I really set the terms of how I was going to execute my role, so it mostly worked. I love that I get to run the dinner party project. It is rough most of the time, but I keep coming back to thinking this is better than having a job that I hate. I do love to be creative and see those things come to life and to see people come to life. When I'm moving towards health, I'm a two, which is the helper, caring and generous. There is not much more I love than to invite someone into my home to talk through where they are in life and be a help if I can. To help people connect with someone that is aligned with what they need is so rewarding to me. It really feels like the final goal. That's the one reason I started the Dinner Party Project. I wanted to see what connections would happen around the table. There have been so many moments of connections around the Dinner Party Project table that have made me so proud. And that is definitely one of the reasons that I have stuck with it.
And I just, yeah, I, I definitely feel that the Dinner Party Project wouldn't still be around if I didn't kind of like have that fighter quality. I care deeply about what I do. I care deeply about people. But I have to choose into those people and what I do. I can't fight about everything. I can't fight about every issue. And I can't fight for every person. I do have a lot of energy. But almost, I mean, I do have a lot. And I expend a lot. And it's almost barely enough to pour into my own business, into my own friendships and family. And I can often tell like when I feel like my energy is starting to like come to its like to the end of the energy that I have because um, I definitely come to a lot of times when I feel pretty drained which leads me into the final topic which is rest gosh this is my favorite place to be I am actually intrinsically I don't really love work. Uh, my best self is on vacation. I The ultimate is just to have a day which isn't super structured, without hard timelines, so I can be in control of my time. Hello, I'm an eight. Um, I can get up when I want to. I can just wander or choose what I want to do. I want this time to serve me and to be kind of selfish with this time. And I feel that the practice of Sabbath, or Sabbath kind of meaning retreating from work, needs to be really intentional. And honestly, um, I think it needs to be mostly about you. I think rest or the practice of Sabbath is so vitally important. I can feel when I'm starting to unravel and be stressed out because there is too much on my plate. I most often need to retreat and have some time to myself alone. Um, for me, there's not really one dream day. Uh, most often, my day of rest is just staying at home. Um, also partially because I'm pretty broke right now um, with just buying this home and investing in this home. Uh, I feel like I, I'm going to be broke forever, which is not true. But right now, I don't have a lot of extra um, resources to go out and do a whole bunch of things or eat out or go, you know, spend a couple nights away. But, um, yeah, so, but I am equally as happy to just kind of be, um, be at my house, be in bed with, like, a good book or a Netflix series, um, and then later on meet up for having, either having people over or making a meal together or just being with someone in my life that is, you know, safe for me. And that doesn't require me to give a whole lot kind of in that moment. Um, I really also relish a day at the ocean, either alone or with one or two close friends, just to soak up the sun, listen to the waves, be surrounded by nature, connect with myself um, and with the creator. And I have so much energy. Um, and so... Sometimes I definitely feel like I just need to kind of like just get away and get a peaceful day by myself. But sometimes I kind of like have a lot of energy. And sometimes for me, the thought of staying in the house is terrible. So going for a walk, going to a thrift store or an estate sale, being at a party, being with friends, like sometimes that is my day of rest. It's a day that is going to renew me 
and I just have to like figure out for that week or for that time what what do I need like what does my body need what does my mind need what does my you know like soul need in in that time and so it's definitely not the same um if I'm on an actual vacation just being in a new city gives me energy I feel the wonder of being able to explore something new and that really gives me so much life I in general need to be consuming everything new I need to be entertained and that's for good or for bad that's usually kind of how my brain works I want to like always be intaking new things learning new things um and I don't know that I have always been operating in true rest and sometimes I still I'm still fighting um for true rest because a lot of times I think it's easy to fall into faux rest I have loved and read Shauna Nyquist's book Present Over Perfect so many times. It is so good. I just would highly recommend that you get your hands on a copy. Uh, in this book, she talks about the concept of faux rest. Like, you're not working, but you're not really resting. I'm just going to do this quick little laundry. I'm just going to answer this quick little work text. I'm going to clean the kitchen. While I have the time, I'm just going to get this errand done while I'm out. This is not Sabbath. Um, it's, yeah, it's absolutely just not working on your work stuff. It is working on all the things that, the auxiliary things in life. So I was recently gifted with a book called Sabbath uh, by my dear friend Jenny Joy. And it has given me so much insight into Sabbath and why we should do it or why we avoid it. It's fascinating. And I also recommend if you can pick up this book. It's so worth it. I feel that rest and Sabbath is the way that we can offer our best selves to the world. It allows for rest for the weary. As Gandhi wisely said, there is more to life than increasing its speed and the older I get, I think I agree with this so much more. A huge need for rest is reconnecting with yourself. The weak and the world can just take it out of you, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Sometimes I arrive at the end of the week and I'm in a pretty good place. Sometimes I arrive at Sabbath totally wrecked. And I need to listen to my body. And connecting with yourself can also be kind of hard. From the Sabbath book, um, it mentions, We greet silence with fear, afraid it will show us the broken sinner at the core of the world and ourselves. Afraid of what we will find there, we avoid the stillness at all costs, keeping ourselves busy, not so much to accomplish, but to avoid the terrors and dangers of emptiness. Damn, that is some truth right there. Uh, it's definitely brave to face yourself where you are, to give yourself the space to breathe, to know that all is not right in the world and in your life. But that is why we keep going, keep digging, keep hoping for a better world, and more importantly, a better self and inner life. Another thing that the book mentions is do not wait to be joyful. What? <laughs> do not wait to be joyful? But my life is falling apart in this area. This person is mad at me. I don't have the money to do what I want in my life, etc., etc., etc. This struck me as so powerful. 
you have control over yourself. Yes, people can be challenging and almost unbearable at times. Life sucks and stuff is super frustrating. But at the end of the day, you have absolute control how you feel and how you treat other people. So the Sabbath can be such a useful tool to do something that brings you joy. Make plans to be around people that bring you joy. Read a really good book. Watch something that you can get lost in. Take a walk. For me, go to an estate sale. Do what forces you to feel joy. Sometimes it's really hard, but it will be worth it. Marie Kondo is crushing the game right now and asking people to eliminate things I'm going to add, or people in your life that don't bring you joy. And guess what? That shit works. And it takes time to get there, but it is so worth it. I am begging you to make this a priority in your life. I could talk about this subject forever, and maybe I'll do another episode to revisit this. But I encourage you to make this a part of your weekly routine. It has really shaped me for the better. So, all the thanks in the world for pushing play on this. Whether you are in your car, cleaning your kitchen, or have this on in the background while you work, just know that I am super grateful. And if I can just ask maybe one favor, since Cocktails and Conversation is so new, if you could like, comment, or subscribe to this podcast, I would definitely be eternally grateful. And I'm just trying to get people to find this, and hopefully it will be helpful out there in the ether world. So there's so much more to come. I have so many amazing guests lined up, and I can't wait to share them with you. So please stay tuned, and thank you from me, Dana Marie, for listening. Bye. Thank you a million times over for listening to Cocktails and Conversation Podcast. I hope you have enjoyed all of it. If you have, would you do me a huge favor and rate, comment, and subscribe for more Cocktails and Conversations? 